Hi, this is Maze with Grieving a Child podcast, and I have Deborah with us today on our interview. And Deborah, tell us a little bit about your story. Hi, Maze. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, the reason that I wanted to speak and to tell our story is because addiction is everybody's issue. When you have a family member that struggles with addiction, it's not an individual issue. It affects the whole family. Um, Unfortunately, I am the mother of two addicted children, one of which has recently passed uh, from his addiction. Um, That was on April 29th of 2020. Um, My oldest son, and I'm, I want to start there, if you don't mind, because, I, you know, I feel like it's important to understand the full dynamic. Um, but my oldest son. What is your child's name, Deborah? Um, the one that has passed, his name is Jacob. He was 23. And he was amazing. I, I'll tell you, he, he made everybody laugh. He was, had, had such a huge heart and would do anything for anybody. He he was so amazing. And, Mm. you know, the the loss to me is so significant because uh, during my time as a single parent and dealing with his older brother that um, had mental health issues, you know, he was the one that was always there. And so he and I just had a, a very close relationship because it was he and I together that were dealing, you know, we were the ones dealing with the the mental health issues with the older, older child. Um, at any rate, uh, my older son, as I said, he, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder at an early age and ended up in a residential treatment facility when he was 13 years old. Um, at that time, Jacob was 11. Um, again, it was during those three years that Jacob and I just got extremely close. Um, my oldest son came home when he was 16 and Jacob was 14. Um, after, after that, they started using marijuana and you know, the oldest, he was always one. He had never get in trouble by himself. Uh, he would always pull Jacob into it. And in this situation, it's it's no different. You know, they were brothers, they were close, and they mm-hmm. were close in age. So, um, you know, that, that was just a huge issue, uh, you know, with them growing up. Um, within the first year of my oldest son coming home, everything seemed to go downhill. Um, We ended up moving to Columbus, Georgia. Um, I had grown up in Columbus and, you know, we had moved around and, and that kind of thing. We were in Indiana and moved from Indiana back to Georgia. Um, When we got here, my oldest son started using um, marijuana and pills. Um, He would use Xanax and um, oxycodone. Uh, I, I've heard it also called Norco, 
you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not sure of the proper names for that, but when he turned 17, he ended up moving out of the house and he moved in with a guy that was in the military. Well, this military person was using heroin and showed my son, my older son, how to use heroin. So that started his addiction into hardcore drugs. Um, and like I said earlier, you know, he, he never did anything without pulling Jacob in. So, um, you know, it, it was several years, but it eventually happened. Um, Jacob was dating a girl that he had been with for several years and they had an argument. Um, Jacob ended up going over to Christian's house. Christian and his girlfriend at the time were living together. That's his older brother. And um, he ended up overdosing. And had I not called that night when I did to check on him, he would have died that night. But thank God they lived right around the corner from the hospital. So, you know, we went through that. Um, and that was horrible. That, that was a horrifying experience for me. And that's when I realized that there were huge issues. You know, all this time I was trying to figure out how to help my older son, you know, trying to get him on the right path and that kind of thing, not realizing that I had pretty much left Jacob behind because my focus was on my older son. Mm -hmm. um, you know, long story short, you know, the him and Jacob and his girlfriend were in and out of the relationship. You know, they'd break up and and that kind of thing. Um, they were using together, so that was just a whole nother story. Um, you know, Jacob was never one that was content with addiction. Um, you know, he, he ended up breaking up with this girlfriend and um, during all of this, my husband's job moved us to Texas. So Jacob and his brother were here in Georgia. Um, you know, it, several years had passed, so they were adults. Um, my husband and I and my husband and I had a little boy. So we were in Texas and uh, we were coming through Georgia and Jacob decided that he wanted to move to Texas with us because he wanted to get away from the people that were bad influences and you know they kept the addiction going strong. So we picked him up, took him to Texas, he got clean, got a great job and he, he was he was doing so so well. And um, maybe four or five months after he had gotten there, my husband's job moved us again back to Georgia. So we were not in Columbus, but it was, you know, two hours away from Columbus. And we were not back in Georgia five days before Jacob had taken off back to Columbus and got wrapped up in the whole addiction thing again. Um, he met a girl 
whose father was a drug dealer and he dated her and of course he was selling for the dad and he was using the product that the dad was supplying um eventually the dad was arrested and uh, that left my son and his girlfriend homeless um, they were couch surfing from friend to friend and you know staying in abandoned houses and and this kind of thing and you know I'm, I'm a member of a lot of uh, Facebook groups that are geared towards mothers of addicted children and you know everybody says tough love tough love tough love and yeah. you know I, I tried that and you know I, I told Jacob as much as I loved him I could not have that at my house I, I just couldn't do it and I was not going to continue sending him money um, paying his phone bill you know doing all of these things for him if he was going to continue to use because I, I felt like no matter what I did for him it was enabling him so mm -hmm. I, I didn't do anything I told him when he was ready to get help I would help him with recovery but I would not help him with addiction um, and you know I, I stayed true to my word um, eventually he got tired of that he, he knew that that was interfering in the relationship with me and um, his stepfather and um, uh, his brother um, and his stepbrother so he decided to um, moved to Oklahoma with an uncle of his and um, he did he got clean he was working a great job same story as Texas and then the girlfriend who was the daughter of the dealer ended up calling him and telling him that um, she had been abused by a guy that she started dating and um, he ended up renting a car, driving from Oklahoma to Columbus to pick her up, took her back to Oklahoma for a week, and um, the following Friday rented a car, drove her back to Columbus, and four days later he's dead. Hmm. Um, and I'll, I'm going to tell you the real problems started with the investigation. Um, it, it was horrendous and I, I say that because there was truly no investigation um, the coroner pronounced my son dead and and that was it there was no autopsy because in the state of Georgia um, they don't do autopsies if it's a drug-related death um, I had to beg him to do a toxicology because I truly felt like there were more issues and in my heart of hearts I knew that it was more than just an overdose because um, I had his phone and I knew that um, I, I knew how much his sobriety meant to him you know he continually told her I'm not staying in Columbus for a week. I don't even want to drive through Columbus. 
things of that nature. So immediately my response was, um, the narcotics division needs his phone. So um, I, I made an appointment to turn in the phones. Um, he had an old one. He had gotten a new one when he got to Oklahoma. And um, so, you know, I, I met with narcotics, turned in the phones, and um, it, it started from there. You know, they they downloaded all the information from his phones and, you know, did what they could. But, of course, being the narcotics division, it was um, narcotics related only. They, they couldn't do anything else. They were not looking into his death or any any other issues. Um, so it wasn't um, uh, a couple of months, I guess maybe four months passed and nothing was going on with the investigation. The guy that I believe sold him that final dose was arrested because he was found with the same drugs that killed my son after eluding police. <laughs> um, but again, he's not being held responsible for my son's death. Um, so that set me on a path to investigate. And that's what I've been doing for the last year, almost. My son died on the 29th. So the 29th of this year will be the one year anniversary. And um, when I say that I have been investigating for the last year, that's exactly what I've been doing because I can't, I haven't been able to get help and I haven't been able to get the acknowledgement that there's an issue. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you one of the problems that I'm having is that the state of Georgia has what is called the 911 medical amnesty law. And that law states that if, if someone ODs and you're with them, that you can call 911 and you will not get in trouble. If there are drugs laying around, you're not gonna get in trouble. You're not gonna be arrested for those drugs. Of course, if it's small amounts. So that has really hindered justice in this situation. What made matters worse is I found out from the coroner and from the little bit of investigating that has been done that my son laid in that floor for six hours dead. But nobody sees a problem with that because they eventually called 911. So it's just devastating. What, what I, it's not bad enough that I lost my son, but I can't even mourn losing him because I'm having to be an investigator too. Uh -huh. So after multiple meetings with different higher ups in the police department in the city that he passed away in, they finally agreed to have somebody in the homicide unit look at it 
um, I actually got that call last Friday, but I had not heard anything. So when I called today to find out what was going on with it, um, I was told that the person that has been assigned will be in training next week and hasn't had a chance to look at it. So, you know, we're, we're just, we're kind of in a, in a really bad situation. You know, I, I never thought that it would be worse than losing a child, but it has gotten there. Well, it's an unknown set. Not being able to close, I mean, you're, you're never going to close the chapter, right? Um, forever, grief will be there. Absolutely. But you, I mean, it's been not just a year for you. It's been a long time of grieving your child, you know? Right. Um, whether they have passed or they're alive. Uh, right. That it's a very similar line of worrying about them, right? And you still worry about them even though they're not here, you know? That's right. And I'll tell you, I I truly believe the only thing that has kept my sanity during this, um, my mom actually passed away exactly three weeks before my son did. So, you know, I try to justify that in my mind as I know he's there with her. Mm-hmm. And if he's not going to be with me, I'm okay with him being with her. You know, uh, th- there's no doubt in my mind that they're both in heaven. Um, I miss them both tremendously. But, you know, I'll be honest and tell you that all of those years, I prepared myself for my older son to overdose. So I felt like I was prepared for that. I was never prepared for Jacob to pass. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I would rather either of them pass. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But, you know, I felt like my older son's addiction was so much worse if there is such a thing. Um, and then, you know, having the dual diagnosis um, with the mental health issues and then the addiction and Mm-hmm. And that kind of thing. So I, I just felt like his issues were more significant, um, larger than Jacob's. Uh, but it, it's a death. Sorry about that. I, I apologize. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I was going to say, with the death of Jacob, do you feel it's so real or surreal? Do you know what I mean by that? I, I do, and I'll tell you that it depends on the day. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that might sound awkward, but um, no. you know that there's some days when I can face it head on, and I, I know that this is so real. And those are the days that I fight, and mm-hmm. I continue to fight. But then on the surreal days those are the days that I don't function at all and you know it's heartbreaking and you know I've struggled with um, depression for so many years and after this there's no doubt in my mind that I have some level of PTSD absolutely Um, 
and you know it, it's not just the death and and this is what I'd, I'd like to convey I, I think most of all it's what came after the coroner the police department the girlfriend the other two people that were in the hotel room it's like my son did not matter so I, I'm I feel like I have to fight and almost shake people to say he mattered he was more than an addict yes he made bad choices but all of us do and if every person on this planet obeyed their parents we wouldn't need police departments and it's i just can't tell you the level of devastation that i have gone through not only with the death of course but with the fact that nobody cares you know the the girlfriend thought it would be a good idea to lay beside of him and take pictures with his dead body i've had to see those pictures yeah it's no parent should do that Absolutely, Deborah. No parent should do that. And and it what really resonated with me is he mattered, you know, and and your intuition, you know, you just know and right. what's right or wrong and to fight for that. And um you've been helpless for so long, you know, for such a long motherhood, right? Right. And that's a horrible feeling because we're completely designed to protect and and kiss the boo-boos, right? And exactly. Everything's okay and you know to be focused on one son and thinking that's where your focus needs to be and then to have it happen to the son that was there to support you and and you know how boys they take care of their mothers, right? right. They're just amazing. And for him to be the one, you know, it's just, it, it's not, it's, well, we all know it's not right. You know, it's not right for our children to go before us for one. And when we can't protect them, all we need is help, you know, and not to be able to get that help. It's just, I get why you're telling your story. Right. Well, yeah. right. And uh, I'm actually working with a lady that um, works. She has an alliance through the Department of Public Health. And they pass out Narcan kits and, you know, do um, education events and, and things like that for addiction. You know, she's very well connected with um, people in the community that offer those resources. And I'll be honest, it, it really infuriates me that I, ha- I didn't have this before. Mm-hmm. How do I have it now when my son is dead? And I, I searched and I begged and I pleaded for resources when he was alive. How do I have it now when he's dead? It makes no sense. It just makes no sense. Yeah, the resources is, um, I, 
I can hear you as a grieving mother to grieving mother. It's there's there's got to be an easier way to find help in a quicker manner. Um, we talked about this that if you you know are sick, you can go in and you get antibiotics within a few days, right? Right. But if it's mental, you know it there it takes weeks to get any kind of help whatsoever, you right. know and the system and um, the way it is, you know, obviously, uh, a lot of people don't have a solution, but we're craving answers, right? Uh, too many children are dying, right? And um, just because we're mothers, you know, we need that help, right? Well, we need the help. Th- that's exactly right, and um, I appreciate you you're acknowledging that. Um, Hi, this is Maze, and we are here with our podcast, Grieving a Child, and this is Kristen. Kristen, please tell us your story. Hi, I'm Kristen. My I have a son named Timothy. He's forever 20. He passed away May 22nd, 2015 by a freak motorcycle accident. A sheriff was passing by him late at night when my son was coming home from work and the sheriff had turned around and just started following him and he followed him for about four and a half miles i i did the investigation myself um and within that four miles my it was made to show that my son was speeding 20 miles over the speed limit by pacing and by pacing, that means it's not done by radar detector and you can't prove it in the court of laws. You can't prove it. It's only done by the dashboard. Um, my son was doing about 50 because my boyfriend and I researched skid marks done by motorcycles when they stopped abruptly, how long the skid mark is and how many skid marks there are. And that produces how fast they were going. And we figured about 50, um, you know, 40 in a blind corner. My son, Timothy was chased four miles by a sheriff until he hit a tree in this blind corner. And he died instantly by broken neck, articular uh, lanto dis—I can't even pronounce the word—but it's a. His neck was broken, and I feel like cops, sheriffs, stadies, any of those law enforcement should not chase motorcycles, whether they're speeding or anything like that, because it could cause death. In my son's case, it caused death. It caused my son to freak out, make an impulsive decision. I am in the middle and it it hurts to the core how that could be a possibility why the cop would chase my son. It killed him. Absolutely. It, It killed him. He was only 20. I go to the crash site quite a bit. I try to do it once every couple of weeks, maybe twice a month. And I keep it decorated, cleaned up and rotate things, change things out, which I'm in the process of doing. (laughs) You have a dog too. We have a yellow lab. No worries. We have a puppy. He's he's miles. He's nine months old. Yes. Two laps. (laughs) 
sweet, sweet, my son, um, came to me one day a year after he had died and told me, mom, get on a motorcycle. It just came to my mind, just came instantly. And I got on a motorcycle to 2016 and I learned to ride the tra tragic with my son. And here I am, I'm still going and showing my strength to grieving moms that we can pull through this, even though it's hard. Sometimes I fail and I want to get stupid. Yeah, I understand that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get stupid so much and it's it's retarded. I shouldn't. But I'm writing in my son's name. <laughs> and I just feel like the sheriff's cops, ladies, like I said, should not chase motorcycles. I've seen too many deaths from them. Miles, I know you hear her doggy too. It's okay. <laughs> well, thank you, for well, thank you for sharing your story of Timothy. Um, uh, my saying is always my broken heart to your broken heart. Thank you. And motorcycles were always something that, uh, you know, I applaud you for being on a motorcycle. I actually uh, have my motorcycle license, but I actually stopped when my husband had passed away. Um, actually, and we were talking about this May 21st on a motorcycle. Uh, because at the time, my son was uh, just about four years old, and I was, you know, it. Right. Yeah. It, 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 it was hard to get on one, but my son was like, Mom, you got to do this. Mom, ride for me, please. Because my son was only six weeks into riding. He was a newbie. He was a new rider. And the cops took his life by chasing him. So when you talk about how you survive this, everybody says, I don't know how you survive this. And I always tell people I didn't have a choice, you know, and what are some of the things you've done to, I guess, survive this or to live with this? Uh, the first reason would be, I don't have a, I, I wasn't given the choice. I, I, if I was given the choice, my son would still be here. <clears throat> the, thing that keeps me going is my grandchildren and my remaining children and a lot of regrets that I have in my life that I need to repair with my children. My remaining children, um, my daughter is 30 and my youngest is 23. And then I have the three grandchildren, 12, seven, and six. And I, I just got to be there for them. And I'm, I'm trying not to be selfish though I do have thoughts every day and it's not easy absolutely to, absolutely. to, to live with the darkness you know you bring up, a good, bring point. up a good point what is it, what like, is it like to grieve a, to child, grieve a child and to have and remaining, to have children? remaining children how did you balance how that? did you balance that how would I how would I it's, it's a missing puzzle piece. He was my middle child, Timothy. Timothy was my middle child, my first rainbow. <clears throat> Adam is my second rainbow. And my daughter, she was just my, my first baby. And to balance it all, it's, it's a missing puzzle piece. And I, I can't fill that void. And to see them, they don't really talk about him. 
and they always say to me that I'm, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a word, geez, I can't spit it out right now. Living, living in the past, um, dwelling in it. There we go. I'm dwelling in my son's death, but how can I not when he's been gone for six years? You'll never, ever, ever get over it, ever. And to balance it, I don't know how I'm doing it. My my grandchildren, my children. Yes, and I hate when people say that we live in the past. Because we talk yeah. about our children when they're alive. That's so right. why wouldn't we talk about them now? Exactly. I, I still talk about Timothy like he's still living. I just see Timothy. I saw Timothy today, as a matter of fact, a few different times through his birth time. <clears throat> his birth time is, was, is 111. And I saw that four times today. So I know he came to see me and I'm like, hey, Timothy. But I was alone, so I couldn't share my experience with, hey, Timothy's here visiting me or hey, Timothy's visiting us. And they come to you in numbers, at least my son does. He comes to me in numbers, birth time, date of death, date of birth. He comes to me sometimes in songs, which is rare now, but he, he likes to stick with numbers. So I'm able to talk to people like he's here through the numbers, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. I feel crazy a lot of the times because I talk about them. But you will never get over it and stop. Yeah, and I think that crazy, the word you're using, crazy, comes from others' perception of us. Yeah, we're nuts because we still talk about them. We still see them. We should be over it. You will never, ever know. It, you cannot be. It's impossible. Impossible. Absolutely. Grief is... I say uh, my fifth element, my new emotion, and I'm going to have it for the rest of my life, right? You know, it's like when they tell me to stop laughing or not be angry. Grief is part of that in my life now. You know, it's a, it's an, another, whatever, fifth element is what I call it, that if they can understand that when they say things like, you know, they feel like you haven't moved on, you know, my, my biggest advocate of being a grieving mother is to teach people to understand that it's okay for us to talk about our children forever exactly exactly because we we bore them he was attached to me by umbilical cord i had him all natural i had the pain that associated his birth to me and when he died the pain is the same absolutely absolutely You just can't move on from it. I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what people say. You can't compare the death of a child to, to a living child you haven't seen in 20 years. I'm grieving over my, my daughter because I haven't seen her in 20 years. And it's like I said, you, at least one day you might be able to see her. My son has been gone six years and I'll never see him again. So don't compare the death of a parent, um, another child that's living to the death of a child because you at least you have that option. We yes. don't. Yes, I've heard that before. And people will compare 
different things. We have a podcast, or well, actually, we have a thing on Clubhouse we do, and people come on and talk about maybe their brother or their sister or their mother, and the tools are the same, but the grief is it's, it's just not it's not the same. No, I can tell you one thing, and it's a fact for me. I'm not sure if anybody else experiences it, but I feel like, no, I know for a fact that everybody experiences it that has lost their child is that they're frozen in time. Like it happened yesterday. Yes. I I still live in that moment. And I look at my son's picture and say, Timothy, I'm so mad at you. (laughs) Why did you, why did you speed? Did I, did you really speed? A lot of questions run through my head about that night because a lot of cops will lie and make up reports to make themselves look like they didn't do anything wrong. But my son made it three minutes into the chase with some deep, deep corners and he took them very well. And the fourth one killed him. I took that same route on my motorcycle at that same speed. And it's, it's like, wow, (laughs) that cop definitely chased him hardcore. I I like that you shared that is that you actually took the path. I think a lot of us as mothers go down that road that they went through that day quite often in our heads. And sometimes they have the opportunity to do that actual road like you did yeah i i I take it um when i go see him at his crash site i do go to the crash site as well and i change things out i make sure it's cleaned um i just make sure it's in good standing and appropriate for people that pass by it's in it's on the back roads in georgia vermont so it's not seen by a lot of people in the back roads and yeah, I take, I, I sit with them a couple times a month. Even in the wintertime, I'll go down. My son and I, my youngest, we put up reflectors on that corner to prevent that corner from being dangerous to drivers as well. And a year after my son died, the town, I wrote the town and I said, please put a turn sign, like a blind corner sign up. And they did that turn corner ahead and I'm, I'm grateful for that. They did some things for me in honor of my son. We did the reflectors, they did the corner sign. Wow. But I just gotta, I just want the law to be, do not chase motorcycles, do not chase motorcycles, especially in the dark. Yeah, back just road. for speeding. Yep, in the back roads. My son was the only one on the road, apparently. But only my son. <laughs> yeah. Kristen, thank you for sharing your story. Is there anything else you want to share with grieving parents? Just keep your head up and visit your child as, as much and as often as you can. It keeps you sane. I agree. Thank you for your time. And this is Grieving a Child podcast with Kristen and her son, Timothy. Thank you and have yourself a good one. Thank you very much for the interview. Thank you. You as well. Bye. Bye.